0: Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of Nautical Knowledge and Nonsense. In today's episode, I was lucky enough to interview my first celebrity. This is a fellow by the name of Stephen Ladd who has done incredible adventures. He wrote two books, one about his three-year voyage on a 12-foot boat, and the other one about a five-year voyage with his wife and newborn baby on an insanely small boat. The adventures he's been on are incredible. And I was very, very lucky to get this interview with him. I'm very thankful for it. Uh, I'm also very thankful that Stephen paid me a huge compliment. Apparently, out of all the dozens, if not hundreds of interviews he's done, nobody has ever asked him about his poetry. Well, I did. I asked Stephen about his poetry. And Stephen's response was heartfelt, emotional, and personal. So at the very least, in this episode, you will experience the power of poetry as it pertains to two hopeless romantics. But also, in this episode, you're going to learn lots of life lessons, uh, the many mistakes and incredibly smart things Stephen did throughout his voyages, and hopefully just get to understand this incredible adventure and the times he went through. So, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy this episode. Enough talk. Let's get to it. <laughs> Hello folks. Welcome to another episode of Nautical Knowledge and Nonsense. I'm here with the first celebrity I've ever interviewed, uh, Mr. Stephen Ladd. You've done some incredible adventures. Uh, Three years on a 12-foot boat. He's written uh, two books. So one is Three Years on a 12-foot Boat and the other is The Five-Year Voyage. And uh, both are incredible journeys. And I know, uh, Stephen, my apologies, you've done dozens and dozens of interviews. You've told summaries of these stories numerous times. But would you would you mind telling the folks uh, for my podcast, just give some brief summaries of your, your oh, books sure. before we uh, delve into <clears> detail
1: in them? If, if I can correct just one, I believe the word is preposition, it's three years in a 12-foot boat, ah. not on a 12-foot boat. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, that doesn't mean literally inside. I, I had one listener who thought I meant that I was inside my boat for three years, and that, of course, was not the case. (laughs) And Then I've had some people that got confused and said 12 years in a three-foot boat, which, of course, that was not the case. It was three years on a 12-foot boat. And um, anyway, that voyage was in my 30s, and I designed and built a very small light boat, and it was intended to be light enough to drag it up on the beach at night, to be sailed and rowed, Anywhere where the conditions aren't too cold. And so I went south from where I live here in Washington State. Ended up uh, as far south as South America and uh, came back. So it was partly a uh, coastal and island hopping trip and partly a river trip. The main rivers involved being the Missouri, the Mississippi, and the Orinoco in South America. And then the boat being so small and light that uh, portages were easy. So there were portages on ship and car and truck as well. That's that first book. And then uh, the recent book is uh, The Five-Year Voyage, Exploring Latin American Coasts and Rivers. Similar to the first, except that my now wife was with me. And the level of accommodation, type of boat, were very, very similar. But... For the five-year voyage, the boat was a little bigger to accommodate two and ultimately three people as we had a baby in Brazil. So, in that case, kind of a similar thing. It's rivers, coastlines, islands. But then when we got down to South America, the riverine portion of the trip was much accentuated. And instead of just being in northern South America, we went all the way down to Argentina through the interior rivers. Like the Orinoco, Amazon, Paraguay, Paraná, and there are many, many tributaries. All right, so folks, that summary was kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the
0: Lord of the Rings. We're saying a bunch of hobbits took the ring and made it to Mordor and back and all's well. Like it it, it doesn't even begin to, it, it was insane. Like, Like, I don't know, when I was reading the books... Uh, I just, there were so many ways it it could have gone wrong and it, and it did go wrong many times in the trip. There were, there were mishaps. Um, What impressed me was how you were able, many times you were able to preempt the problem. Like you you had foreseen the problem or if there, if there was a problem, you, you just dealt with it. Like um, one of the times uh, you were off the coast. Uh, It's been Colombia? I can't remember Venezuela. Um, uh, It was, it was the, the West coast of South America south of Panama, and you you hit a massive thunderstorm, and then and I I, I went back later. I looked at, I looked it up on um, online just like global thunderstorms. Like you were smack in the purple zone, which isn't isn't good. Like there's a lot of thunderstorm activity there, and I was just like, what if, what if he gets struck by lightning and thunder? What if he gets washed overboard? What if? I mean, there were all these what ifs. I don't know I almost I almost was like I need to make a list of like all the different ways you could have died but I think it would have stopped at uh, the old uh, dysentery <laughs> from uh, Oregon Trail but uh, anyway I don't know It's just, it was um, yeah what were you thinking? <laughs>
1: yeah that was a, that was a dangerous night mm-hmm. yeah it was um, off the coast of Columbia the, the rainfall there you know I live in And you live in western washington too the rainfall here is ignore the numbers but i looked up the numbers once and i computed the difference between how much it rains here in seattle and how much it rains there it rains um 13 times more there than it does here so it's hard to imagine those quantities of water and and it's a it's a rainstorm that'll hit and just rain in quantities you just couldn't imagine it's one of the highest rainfall places in the world and um then it just goes for like 6 hours or 12 hours like that and what i hadn't anticipated in the design and usage of my boat was that the rain would fill up the the footwell in the cockpit and that that rainwater would be perched above the center of gravity i didn't Hadn't thought that way, and it, but it was. It was above. Once it was all filled up, it was above the center of gravity, so the boat simply tipped over. And um, I hadn't. Well, the, I was inside and I was warm and dry because the 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 hatch cover was on, but the hatch cover was not dogged down. Mm-hmm. And um, so the boat, as it when it turned over, the hatch cover came off and filled up with water. Then that caused. Then I lost my buoyancy inside the boat. The boat is full of water. It's not a not really a boat anymore. So that was the makings of that of that
0: problem <clears throat> yeah and then you you had quickness of mind i i remember i don't remember the details and um but I, but I remember reading it and just you, you made a couple of very good decisions at that point that probably saved your life
1: well i um soon realized that the boat would it was like being on a log in the in the water you could, it's easy to turn the boat over any way you want but it's not stable in any position and um So, I took some effort to keep from losing the things that were inside. Remember, the hatch cover was had it broke off and it was lost, so anything could fall out. But I was tying things on, tying things together so that things wouldn't just disperse and sink. And then, um, the boat was more stable upside down than right side up, so I turned it down, upside down, and I just um, lay on its exposed bottom until it got light. And during the night, I thought of a way to rescue myself, which is that I had I kept my water in collapsible five-gallon water jugs. And I poured those out, blew them up like balloons, and stuck them inside the, the boat. And that was enough buoyancy that the hatch opening was then floated above the waterline. Once your hatch opening is above the waterline, you can simply bail the boat out. So that's how I was able to resurrect that situation yeah that's so awesome Um, and then and then this I mean your
0: journey in a 12-foot boat like that wasn't even your your first big adventure your first big one was Afghanistan what 1971
1: is Mm -hmm. that correct yeah in uh, 1971 right out of high school I traveled for a year in Europe Asia um, Asia as far east as as Pakistan so that's Turkey Iran Afghanistan and Pakistan and then also Morocco. And <clears throat> I had a lot of uh, misadventures there. I, my timing was such that I was in uh, Pakistan and, well, I was on the border with India. But when I, when I arrived as the day of the war started between Pakistan and India. So I was a refugee, a war refugee, as a kind of a tourist war refugee. And then um, later in Morocco, I was in, in prison for a month from a motorcycle accident.
0: Jeez, I mean, I, I feel like we could just do a whole podcast episode just on on that adventure. Like, is there ever going to be a book written? Do you have plans? I've been for that? writing
1: about that. I, if you want to, anybody, look at my um, my website. I'm writing new material that'll be a book someday, but it's I'm sharing it with Facebook friends and putting it on my website. It's episodes of that and other parts of my life that are not yet a book.
0: Okay, and we'll definitely link your website. But just mm-hmm. so folks know, what's what's your
1: website? Stephen with Ph dash lad, L-A-D-D, dot com.
0: All right. Yeah. Awesome.
1: And in those episodes, each one begins with a title, which is a true minor, you know, small statement of fact, but just listening to it, you would think that it can't possibly be true. And yet they're all true. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, that's so cool. I mean, Afghanistan, 1971.
0: So obviously... I don't. Know, I just. I have to know, and I'm sure. I'm sure people listening are just gonna be so curious. Like the differences in Af- Afghanistan then to today are, are. I'm assuming night and day, at least in the cities. The countryside probably has always been the countryside. But what? What? Mm-hmm. Can you give us any impressions, just so we get a little tease, yep. I guess.
1: <clears throat> about- well, Afghanistan in 1971. That was before they had their problems with communism and Russian in, invasion and. And then the the US intervened and managed to get the Russians kicked out, but then but then US occupied it as a result of the Taliban. And so there's about twenty five years of civil war that has happened since I was there. Mm-hmm. So it was a sure a lot better place then. But it was very primitive. It was like if you if you read the old testament, it was of the type of lifestyle that that's what it was. There was no the cities didn't have Electrical systems or sewer systems, and uh, the the roads were just tracks. There's no pavement or bridges or anything like and that. This is in the cities you're you're describing. Yeah, well the the cities were uh, mostly just <clears throat> Kabul. Even Kabul didn't have a, a sewer system, wow. so <clears throat> it might have had some pavement. So, so I meant meant that to include the the cities as well.
0: Wow. Uh, all right, let's get back to your boat journeys because I'm sure that's why most people are here. So. So one of the things that struck me, which, which is very obvious when you read the two books back to back, is just the difference in technology, um, even, you know, from from 1990s to the mid mid 2000s was when you were or late 2000s, right? 2009 is when you started the voyage. Yeah, that is
1: about that is the year that we started the five year voyage. Yes.
0: Yeah. So just like you're using the Internet, you're using you got a GPS, you got no chart plotter. But I don't know if that was for was that for just. um the, there wasn't room, or just something you didn't want to have, or what was yeah. The in there? in
1: the in the five year voyage, it was a, it was a very small boat. It's not intended to have like it doesn't have a place for electronics. So we um, made do with a handheld GPS such as you use in hiking, mm-hmm. and we mounted it on the mizzen mast, which is right in front of the steering station, and we <clears throat> we could load whatever you know navigational charts are available but we also learned during the course of it how to make our own charts which is what you have to do in South America when you're navigating the rivers we mapped our own our own way through the whole continent
0: wow yeah it's 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 phenomenal
1: there's there's technology there I mean we we used internet to make the maps because we would go go to a cyber cafe pay by the hour to sit at a desk you know and um we would open up Google Earth. We would, um, with a sort of add-on that's an, an art program, we'd go click, click, click along the shorelines, and then those clicks would become basically a map that we save and we put onto our GPS. Because we don't have the internet out in the boondocks, we don't have cell phone coverage out in the boondocks, but we're able to save all those clicks, and those clicks are, are our map. That's, so we used, we used technology, but the boat itself didn't have much technology. Um, it it didn't really call for it, you know. I can't think of too many ways to have made it more high tech, and that you know, you're you're in the jungle, you know. What I mean, um, yeah, it's like we we did have a um, a solar panel, but it was only about uh, eighteen inches by twenty four inches, big enough to charge a small battery that's about six inches cubic. And that's enough power to charge our laptop and run a little fan inside the cabin. And that's all we asked that, that system to do. We, everything else was by, um, by batteries, you know, D cell batteries and AAA batteries and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. And then you, you, I mean, I remember a couple times in the book, like I think you got robbed and then I think like you lost your electronics through various means and, and, and things that occurred as well. <laughs> it sounded pretty
1: bad Yeah, well like that time we were We had just portaged Had the boat portaged, we paid a guy Several hundred dollars to move us And our boat was inside a It was actually a, a Big box van, you know like A, a truck that, who, the rear of which Is a huge box, and the whole Boat was inside that box and all our stuff And uh, Then he took us where he was going to put us on the water But then his brakes gave out And the whole truck with the boat inside it, went into a raging river. We, we got ashore before it was just at the very last second before it did that. And the driver had to swim ashore. And then the, the, the whole truck got kind of wedged into, into, into a rock, a submerged rock. And this raging river was gushing all around the boat. I mean the truck, but the boat was inside there. So I swam out to the I swam out to the truck, which, which I had to start upstream and anticipate where I would end up because I was going down, you know, and, and I come there to the back of the truck where the, where the doors are that you open these big, big doors, you know, and the boat was just inside there, like floating very peacefully. (laughs) It was just, it was in its element. It was floating. There was (laughs) nothing wrong. I just took it and uh, swam ashore with it, you know, and took it to the shore. So, but all, yeah, that the, the, um, what reminded me of that was when you said we lost all our, our electronics. Yeah, we lost our cell phones and our Kindles and our GPS there because they were in our, um, day pack, which ha- got left in the cab of the truck and the cab went underwater.
0: This was your second voyage um, that, that you're describing there. So I think for ease of just so people don't get too confused, I'm going to try to we'll, we'll talk about the first voyage you did, the three years in a 12 foot boat, and I'll I'll try to because I realize we're, we're switching back and forth, it might confuse the heck out of some people. So mm-hmm. uh, so let's let's talk about your first voyage a little bit because I I got I mean tons of questions if you got the time. I, I really appreciate it. So you have so. Well, let's talk about the tech that you used in that voyage because it was... I mean, talk about minimalist. You you were the epitome of middle, minimalist in that during that voyage, it seemed.
1: Well, yeah, it's um, a cold molded boat. That's a modern type of design and it uses a modern kind of glue, epoxy, but it's still just wood. And the... Um, well, the masks were in a way high tech. They're windsurfer mass, but I just cut a... For each Windsor for mast, I didn't need a whole Windsor for mast, I just cut off as much as I needed of a Windsor for mast and created sockets for them to go down into. So the, the rig of that boat was, um, the masts were, were Windsor for masts, and uh, there's no standing rigging, they, the masts just stick into a hole, into a socket. And it's a simple sailing rig, <clears throat> like um, triangular sails that are that have what's called a sprit boom. So it's a sprit boomed cat y'all in that it had its main mast and a very small mizzen in the back that was before GPS. <clears throat> and so um, I had like a flashlight and um, I had a Svea stove. That's a camping stove. Uh, that was my technology.
0: And part, part of reading your journey, like it, it reminded me of, of how we used to get around, you know, because I, I still remember being a kid in the eighties and, you know, and teenager in the nineties and stuff. And, and, um, yeah, it's just, it, it was almost like a study in like, oh yeah, you had to, you had to take people's addresses and remember them and you had to remember their phone numbers. And if you didn't mm-hmm. meet up at such and such a time, you might never see him again. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the the truth of it. Yeah. So it was kind of a, a neat stroll back into memory lane a little mm-hmm. bit in that sense. Your book also, it reminded me of a lot of other things. The, um, have you ever read A Time of Gifts no. by Patrick, um, uh, uh, time of gifts by Patrick leave for more because your journey is very because it, it remind me a little bit of that remind me a little bit of like you know you obviously were going out I, and maybe I'm I'm projecting so so don't you know stop me if I'm wrong um but have you ever read uh, into the wild mm-hmm. about Chris mcaliis so you know he was he was on like a, a self journey but Unlike you, it it seemed he made some mistakes and wasn't able to recover or simply wasn't prepared enough. Whereas you knew boat building. You understand the physics behind it. You understood. It seemed like you understood what you were getting into. Uh, Had you been to South America prior to that journey? I had
1: been to Colombia.
0: Okay. So you, yeah. So you kind of already had some understanding. Whereas
1: I already um, spoke uh, Spanish somewhat and um, I'd been... Uh, I've been around boats a little bit, just just mm-hmm. little boats. Just my only other boat was a was also a 12, 12 foot open sailboat, you know. So I knew I knew small boats. I still don't really know anything much about big boats or what you might call normal boats, you know.
0: Yeah, it's the same principles. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, you just yeah, manage people. That's all. It's just mm-hmm. little same same concepts, honestly. If you sail a small one, you sail a big one. You just just gotta mm-hmm. learn the the management and more ropes that's all but mm-hmm. but uh um but yeah so so in that sense i was like you know it, it reminded me of it but then at the same time you, you were leaps and bounds more more prepared obviously and psychologically i think too um it just seemed like you handled a lot of adversity um and, and you know it's it's a book i don't know how much it gets edited but it, seem, it seems like you had your head screwed on pretty tight there it was just pretty good for for some, for most of it but then This other book, The Time of Gifts uh, with with Patrick, uh, Patrick Leif for more. more. He was a young 18 year old kid who set out uh, from England and from a very wealthy family. And he just did this crazy journey in 1933 through like what was what had just become Nazi Germany, you know, all through Europe, down the Donau River, down to Turkey. And it just reminded me kind of in many respects of, of your journey just because it's like, you know, he was talking about his thoughts and, but he was writing as an older person, you know, writing about his younger self, but referring to his journals and all that. Um, it had some crazy adventures, but what struck me very different in your book, which I really liked was you just were so honest. Like you were honest in a way that, I mean, you talk about these, these amazing women you meet on the journey and like, and it's, and, and you don't, you know, with, with, with the, the book I'm describing at the time of gifts, you know, Patrick would, he'd be very poetic about it. Like he met these two young, beautiful young women and he ended up, um, you know, long, long story short, he ended up, he ended up uh, heading up to their apartment and he said, there they were standing there. And we, we, you know, we burst into dance is how he described it. He left it at that. You get nothing else. Whereas you actually delve into some of the details there, not, not graphically, but enough to be like, Oh my gosh, this is real passion, real love, real, real emotion. Real infatuation, real you know, heartache. Uh, it was brutally honest.
1: Uh, well, it's meant to be um, not a biographical novel as well as an adventure book.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it gave me that impression. Do you, are just out of curiosity? Are you still in touch with any of those those mm. ladies?
1: No. Mm. <laughs> and, yeah, we can edit uh, it out if you wish. <laughs> no, actually, I am. I am. Yeah, with 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 she whom in the story is named Meg. I'm, I'm still friends with her.
0: Oh, neat. That's awesome. All right. So, and then you had, you traveled with a snub nose revolver Mm -hmm. for a good chunk of that journey. Yeah. yeah. was, was that any, in any way influenced by Indiana Jones? I got to ask you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) His was not snub nose. It was also a double action revolver, but uh, (laughs) mine was only two inch long barrel, but uh, two inch long barrel was all that would fit in my hiding place. Um, that that boat had a little uh, four-peak, I guess you call it. If you're inside the cabin, and right in the very bow, peak of the bow, there was a, a bulkhead that only came back like six or nine inches or so, you know. That's a vertical bulkhead. And it had a little hole. And I um, I had a... This was actually kind of difficult to build. I I'm the, it, it, was, it was a hole that wouldn't hold much. It would hold like a mosquito net. That's about all it would hold, you know, something like a a shirt or a jacket maybe, but at the bottom of that I made a little tiny trap door and it just like a, a floor, you know, it would be triangular, of course, and then it had like little lips to sit on. Well, the gun, you can't ergonomically stick your arm in there and reach down and get the gun, but you, I must have had like a, a hook, the gun is has a hook that would hook onto like the trigger guard and then that string, is uh, attached to that little platform. So you can reach down to the platform, you can stick your finger into a hole to the platform and pick that up, and then you have then you have your gun. <laughs> and that was because you have to be able to hide the darn thing, mm-hmm. you know, you're crossing, borders you're not supposed to have guns when you're going into other countries
0: <laughs> yeah so so the border guards never caught it never found it but it did end up getting stolen at mm-hmm. some point when yeah. uh, you had a big crowd of people around the boat is that what yeah I mean?
1: it was that night that we already mentioned when the the night of the capsize it was the the aftermath uh, of the survival the rescue situation where i got to a, a village on the on the coast of Colombia. And um I got there uh, you know by myself but once I was on a beach there were people helping me carry things from the beach into town and one of them was like exploratory with their fingers and, and they they found anything and, and just took it Wow <clears throat> um, what
0: do you what do you think would have happened had let's say you know because you ultimately went I mean you went also around the Caribbean and whatnot but like had the authorities found the weapon, what do you think would have happened? Would it have been a situation, of a bribe? Would you have been in prison? Like, I mean, it could have been any number of things, right?
1: Yeah, I'm not really sure. It would probably be very uh, dependent about the, which country and which official and which mm-hmm. place. And it might've been a bribe. It might've been jail for a while. I, it could have been just about anything.
0: Wow. That's, uh, and you you fired the gun only once on your journey. Is that correct?
1: I remember firing it. Well, I fired it more <laughs> than once, I'm sure. But I, uh, in terms of mentioning in the book, I only remember firing it once.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was, it was interesting. I, I, I'd be curious to know what was going through your, your mind at that point. Why I
1: shot it off that bridge? You off mean? that
0: bridge Well, you were drunk.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I just just felt like it. I wow. just shot into the water from the ridge. Good old alcohol. Yeah, <laughs> the cause and
0: solution to all life's problems. <laughs> so, so you had this crowd of people around your boat. Now, there's at least two, maybe three times in the book you mention... Needing to keep control, and you're very specific with those words. When that crowd of people came around, what what I'm cur- what what has me curious is, was that something that you had read about, or personally experienced, or has somebody told you, "Hey, like when you get a crowd of people, you need to control them"? Or was it something just intuitively you kind of understood you could lose everything if the crowd started taking stuff?
1: I guess intuitive. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of variety of situations, but in the situations I was in, this might be somewhat cultural with, with Latin America. You know, like I don't mean that to say that all Latin Americans are like this or something, but it seems like that's the kind of thing that would happen there but wouldn't have happened in Washington State. But that would be where you've got a crowd of people, and then some of them are like the alpha males who will always want to be the guy who's in charge of that, whether it's appropriate for them to be or not, whether they have anything to do with the situation or not. They'll step forward, and you have to get them back or down or something mm-hmm. you know and um so i did find that situation periodically yeah 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 it's it's interesting
0: so and so you knew that from your previous travels then you kind of experienced it probably i
1: just seen it. i didn't really think it through i just uh, <clears throat> had to control people sometimes <clears throat> yeah
0: well it's good instincts
1: Oh yeah. Can, can I read from
0: your book? Cause there's like, so folks, just so you know, we are literally covering, I mean, we're not even covering a 10th of the book at all. Like, like we're, we're covering little teeny, you know, points. I wouldn't even say they're all, I mean, they're highlights to me, but I guarantee you when you read this book, everybody's going to have a different highlight. Like you got poetry in there. You've got songs, shanties. At one point you have like an impromptu storytelling, which mm-hmm. I thought was hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was great. This and you, and you actually write it, you know, wrote mm-hmm. it all down. Um, but there's, there's a few paragraphs, there's a few points where I just, if you don't mind, I'd love to read one where you, you kind of explain the difference between nature and people and just kind of mm-hmm. the, the fear with people. Mm-hmm. That, that resonated with me a lot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I've, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but for some reason, I don't know what it is. When, when I'm out at sea, I, I, don't really get, I don't really get nervous with big waves and swells. That doesn't bother me. But, like, people sometimes do. It's kind of weird. But you, you kind of explained it a little bit, I think. Anyway, if, if I may read from mm-hmm. your book, or do you want to read it? It's page 145. All right. All right. Uh, second paragraph from the top.
1: <clears throat> I didn't particularly fear accidental death because I had years before accepted the outdoorsman's responsibility to understand natural laws and his motivation for exposing himself to them. I knew my motive, intensity of experience. The intensity was worth the risk. That calculation came automatically, but the danger posed by people seemed different. Nature is unintelligent and orderly, therefore predictable. Killers are intelligent, therefore malicious, unpredictable. I hypothesized that it was preferable to die by my own incompetence or bad luck than to be murdered. But with passing time, I realized one danger was simply more familiar than the other my responsibility was the same weigh the odds and minimize the risks.
0: That's awesome. And right there, I mean, that's, that's boat life in general. You know. Yeah. Weigh the odds, minimize the risks. Yeah. I, uh,
1: I might add that um I have never been in a fight with another human being since, well, I had, I had to defend myself a little bit once in that prison in Morocco. Mm-hmm. That was really kind of brief and almost not a real fight before that it would have been, believe it or not, in, grade school i never had a fight in junior (laughs) high school i never had a fight in high school i never had a fight i've never had a fight except so really you know i'm not i'm not defending myself in these in these stories i but i would have if i had to yeah but i don't know exactly what i would do because i'm not like a martial artist or anything like that i just assume that i would but there, there were
0: times, and I don't recall if it was in the first book or the second book that like there was one time you were in a cab, and I forget what the fellow was going to do. He was, he did something where you you right. actually physically, you, you, so you did intimidate him. Yeah,
1: I he was trying to shortchange me, and I just raised my fist and put it in his face. You know. Yeah, so, yeah. It'll it'll come if asked him.
0: Yeah, it's it's fascinating how uh, I, I mean, if I, if I knew what I back in the day, what I know now, just how to you know. You know, most of uh, avoiding fights is just mm-hmm. not looking like a victim, and yeah. that's it. That's actually yeah. nine tenths of
1: it. Yeah, it's um, part of it is um, I don't know what how to describe this. I don't know if it's something you can learn or not, but um, knowing where you can um, push the limit and where you can't, where you can express your anger which sometimes is actually exactly what needs to happen you need to express your anger, but mostly it's not what needs to happen. You know, yeah. when should you express your anger and when should you not express your anger? That is really critical. And there's, there's no way you can write a book about how to do that. That's just a matter of feel, you know, and I suppose maybe I was lucky because there were times when I did express my anger and, um, and it worked. I got it. I the people who, who, uh, were, you know, had me under their subjugation. They backed off, mm-hmm. you know, and other times I didn't express my anger and that was probably a good thing too. Yeah.
0: Um, do you think, uh, so you, you were robbed at least once in the first book, right? I think you mentioned it. Well, you got robbed once in the States. The guy took your knife and then you were able to fast talk your way. And or I think you bought it back or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're doing handstands. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. That little story. Um, <clears throat> um, well, I've been, I've been robbed at knife point or mugged uh, three or four times in my life you know, like literally a knife at my ribs or being hit over the head and knocked out. Um, so I have, that's because I put myself in harm's way. I i go where people just generally don't dread, you know, and uh, took the risk and suffered the consequences. Do you think, um, do you think traveling with Jeannie, were you guys more of a
0: target or what, what are your thoughts there? I'm just curious.
1: Mm, they, um, we were still not, As much targets as many people would be because their boat was so small that Mm -hmm. it uh the, the initial reaction is what a dorky funny little boat it isn't like oh there's another yacht yeah we can steal the outboard motor off of it it was more like just a little boat huh um but anyway um we i don't think we were particularly high profile but it was high enough profile that we we got robbed too okay
0: yeah, and Jeannie, just so folks know is is uh, Steven's wife. So super awesome.
1: So there are a couple
0: times in, in especially in the first book where you left and literally like two hours later, pirates show up. like people armed looking for you that had no business, like they shouldn't have been looking for you, but you know, for obvious reasons they were. basically' we're pirates. Was that mostly luck? Like, did you just get lucky and just happen to leave right at the right time? Or was, was there any...
1: Yeah, I was just lucky there. Okay.
0: And then with... Yeah, I mean, you, I think you even mentioned in the book, like you run through scenarios in your mind about what you what would you do if you came across mm-hmm. pirates or they came across mm-hmm. you and da, da, da. Yeah. And then, but in the end, you, as you put it, I think all the scenarios wound up with you living and <laughs> succeeding, which that's... Not, you know, pirates will have different scenarios mm-hmm. in their head and different yeah. films being played.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, uh, at one point uh, in the book, I, I I recognized that with a with a boat that has no outboard motor and a, with a gun with a two inch barrel, I could never uh, compete with um, somebody who has a speed boat and a rifle or a shotgun. So it it's, just, it's probably just to make yourself feel better that you're even carry that little pea shooter of a gun, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, and having a plan, honestly, will keep you calm. Mm-hmm. It, you know, like, like at least having run through a few scenarios in your head will keep you calm versus if you're just taken for a you know shock, like, and people, nefarious people read that very easily. So, yeah, I guess in that sense, it makes sense to run through scenarios, even if they're not fully realistic. Mm hmm. Got a few random questions here. First of all, thank you so much for including translations in your books. I appreciate that so much. I know we're almost at an era where you can just hold up a phone to any foreign text and you know, get an instant translation, but we're not quite there yet, most of us, and I really appreciate that you translated things. So thank you for that. Made it yeah, much well, easier to read.
1: Yeah, um, I, I would simply sometimes include the Spanish of whatever was said by myself or the other person, only if to me that sounded interesting, like an interesting sound of a sentence, you know? I didn't normally put in everything in Spanish and then yeah. in English, but only only a few times.
0: And I feel like there's a couple times too where you actually leave the original language or hints of it, but you don't translate it because you actually didn't know what was being said, I think. I, I could be wrong. It could be my imagination working, but I think, which I thought was also interesting. Mm. What did the natives do for mosquitoes? How, how the yeah, heck did that, they survive now? Yeah, there?
1: Um, I, I would say there's been there's been progress since even then. Or there, you might say there's probably been progress between the time periods of, of these two voyages that we're talking about. That um, malaria is being um, suppressed progressively. And um, there even in 1990, there were villages in which many of the people had mosquito nets over their beds. Mm-hmm. But not all of them had mosquito nets over their beds. And um, both then and now still, you you have to have mosquito nets over your, over your sleeping place because it's just too high a chance of getting malaria, dengue fever, or a couple other diseases there.
0: Wow. And did you see signs of that, of those diseases when you were down there?
1: I, I remember just meeting people that had had it. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, yeah, there's a great quote. So, so folks, just so you know, Stephen here, he's a poet. He's such a poet. And it definitely comes out in the first book. You got terrific poems that directly tie into what you're experiencing. And I, I appreciated it a lot. There's a, there's a nice quote where uh, it was, uh, My medium was the world at large, and the world, thank God, is still largely
1: wild. Well, most people don't like poetry, so thank you for liking my poetry. <laughs> and since you pay attention to the poetry and you're about the only person I remember talking to that ever has I'd like to point out to you because I've never pointed out to anybody before that there is that poem um you do mind if I if I read a certain poem because there's something I want to tell about this poem that that it's part of it's part of it's like a dream but a part of it's true and and you might not have known that if you're just reading it it's called rowing rowing on the roof of a world that's made of water Stephen has the poems all indexed, so
0: they're easy to reference.
1: Mm. Rowing, rowing on the roof of a world that's made of water, who are they below who raise their heads as at the sky? They who ask me of the land. Does a falling tree where no ear hears still make the crashing sound? I answer, without me, do sea rocks still bear like teeth? The ocean suck and seize oh un- and under do your talents still yearn to stay if scratch they say we hear of handsome Indian boys like captain cook's hawaiians thick of chest strong of arm open-faced and new born of sea born of me tell me is it true so that's kind of like the sea is talking anyway and i it's true that giants walk the land with giant steps and fire burns that never can deep down within your depths but tell me now where sleeps the serpent of black and yellow stripes who swims your sea along with me, and when I call him dives. But they unknown can only ask, so on I row and wonder at sea caves crashing black inside, and pelicans in diagonal, in my sky above theirs. So what I wanted to point out was that the the sea snake, the black and yellow stripes, that was real. The rest of it was a dream I had, but the, the snake was real, and it, it, it was an opportunity for me to put it in the book. Now, it was all that about these people under they live under the water and they look kind of like um i had this image i don't know why but you know uh hawaiian people they're kind of barrel chested and beautiful people mm-hmm. and that's who they were um but they were also were speaking as if they represent the sea you know they are the these sea, sea people lived under the water and so I was looking at, the whole thing is told is if you're standing at the bottom of the ocean looking up and you're looking at the bottoms of boats and stuff. Wow. So thanks for letting me point that out.
0: Well, your passion definitely comes through in your poetry. Um, well, it beats my America road
1: trip IQ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, that was a, that, that snake is, um, it's I think the, the most poisonous snake in the world. Oh yeah, the sea it's, snake is a sea snake. Oh, they're geez. they're kind of fat, not really huge, but they're they're sea snakes, and um, I think that's the only time I've ever seen one. But I definitely saw one. Wow! All right, well, add that to the list of ways you could have died on your voyage.
0: Hundred and one. Oh my gosh! So just so folks know, we're we're gonna we're gonna put Stephen's poem uh, "Rowing, Rowing" on the roof in the show notes. So if you want to read it again you're, for yourself, you can. Now, now there was actually there was one one thing I wanted to ask you very specific. So, so maybe we should rehash a little bit the trip. So you went down the Missouri, you went down the Mississippi. I, I, we're we're not doing it justice, obviously. Then you you took like you you were on a sweet. I think it was a Swedish captain that, that ran the freighter. Like you, you actually boarded your boat got lifted up, put on a small freighter. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm assuming it was small. It was well, cargo. it was a medium sized um, like, like. cargo cargo general cargo ship.
0: Yeah. Okay. And then, um, and then you went down to Trinidad, was it or no? Or,
1: um, the It's near the, Panama. Yeah, it, to Panama. It was from um the Gulf Coast of the United States to Panama at that's Cologne at the um Caribbean entrance to the Panama Canal. Okay. And uh, so that was that was just something I lucked on to. Um, I was working for my passage. Took my boat along. I was only aboard for ten days. They dropped me off. Okay, in Panama,
0: and then from there you went through Panama. You went down the the west side of the the countries there, and um, you, and you had a couple really interesting stops. I mean, really like cool nature preserves, and and um, I just remember you stayed you know for sometimes a, a few weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, and then you had repairs to do on the boat mm-hmm. constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some great summaries, folks, too. If any of you are into cruising, traveling around the world, that kind of stuff, like there's some really good summaries about just kind of. The philosophy, like you had, you divide it into three phases. I think you talk about in the second book a little more uh, in detail, but like phase one is, you know, get the idea, build the boat, make it match what you're doing. Phase two is troubleshooting, testing it. And then phase three is just basically routine maintenance and Mm -hmm. problem solving. Mm -hmm. And uh, But it was a really nice way of just kind of compartmentalizing like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is is what we're focusing now on this part of the journey. This is what we're going to focus on now. Yeah, and I think otherwise. Pe- people tend to get overwhelmed a lot of times. I've noticed on, especially on ships, because everything's changing, like the, the weather conditions. It will. You can do a hundred voyages in hundred mm-hmm. days, and it's all going to be different, even if you're in the same spot. Mm-hmm. And I think some people just they, I don't know, they have a hard time compartmentalizing. But mm-hmm. It seems like you do that pretty well.
1: Well, the point there, yeah, you said it was that um, if you're if you're dealing with a boat, you um, you either either buy it. Or, or you build it and um, what either way you're bound to put some of your own effort into it because it's not going to be what you wanted to start with. You're, you're involved in some boat that you're going to need some work and that may take who knows how long. And if you build it, it's a long time. But then, as you pointed out, there's this debugging period that can be like a year. You know That can be a long time. But then eventually that's over with and then it's just maintenance and that's when you get the most bang for your buck out of the boat and you might as well use it for a long time then to make up for all that effort you put into it in the previous phases. So what happened to Squeak? Squeak belongs to a young woman in Portland, Oregon. Of course. I, I would want
0: no other way. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Um, oh, man, in one of our previous episodes, it's, uh, I interviewed an old shipmate of mine, um, Crazy Ivan, and we have a drunken interview. We get pretty hammered by the end. But uh, he was saying the the marinas and stuff in like they they've it's very hard to have a boat now in Portland mm. um, in the city of Portland. So I hope she's doing well. I hope the boat's doing well and I mean I'm sure with a boat that size that you can pull out by hand it's it's probably pretty easy to get around no matter
1: what the city's trying wow. to do with the riverway. She I don't know if she's even had it in the water ever. she just has it on its trailer <laughs> in her backyard or something. Oh, okay well, wow. it was given to her as a gift by her uncle. And she didn't even know it was a it was a surprise gift, and uh, I don't mm-hmm. think she she really wanted it particularly, but she <laughs> she still has it. Okay, well, good. I'm glad the,
0: the boat's well. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah. So then you ended up you went into the river systems. You, you obviously got portaged or, or got driven over the Andes down into is it Brazil? No, it's you were still in Colombia, Colombia and, and Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Now at one point. Well, I, I love I love your description at um, and I guess I guess we're going to just very quickly skip through the rivers systems because um, I think you were already in the Caribbean when when Clinton got inaugurated yeah. as president and you mm-hmm. you just kind of like describe it like eh. <laughs> like everybody's sort of you weren't too inspired and and nobody else seemed inspired right. uh, is that do you think that's just the the cruising world and and the um, the high adventure travel world is just I don't want to say it's above politics or it's it's, but does it it does it transcend some of that? Do you think? Like you're not part of that world at that moment in time, right?
1: Well, I didn't mean to make any political statement there at all. It was just <laughs> not of great interest to me. I I really have nothing against Bill Clinton. Yeah, I kind of like him as a president, but I I wasn't interested in what the whole situation.
0: Yeah, and uh, do you think is that something? Just, just consciously that you chose to do being abroad? Or do you think it was just simply you had bigger things to worry about?
1: Well, politics is um, part of mass psychology, mass sociology, <laughs> millions of people becoming this thing that's all kind of squabbling and conflicting with itself. And that's obviously not what I was doing. Yeah. I was, I was doing my own thing.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, and then you get you got picked up by a woman that you said was called, uh, you called her Sherry um, and she took you to a hovel and like that one, I was, I was very curious or um, well, you described it as a hovel. Like she, she had next to yeah. nothing. Was she, So my, my gutting. I, I don't know. I'd be curious to know what, what, first of all, why did you think you could trust her? And and it almost sounded like she might have
1: had some mental issues or something going she is, on. Like was a she was a fan? mystery. She, oh. um, yeah, she shows up on my boat. And this like, is a native. This is a native. Yeah, for... she's a Dominican okay. girl, Dominican Republic, and um, she. You never know just exactly what she means or what she under. You know, but she says my boat happened to be parked right at the stern of this replica of. It was either the Santa Maria or the Pinta or the Nina, but but it's a logical place for that boat to have been there because this is where Christopher Columbus landed or had his base in the Dominican Republic, and so the that that Christopher Columbus boat was here, and my boat was right behind it, and she looks down from the dock and she sees me there, and she says, "Is your boat the baby of that boat? Like my, like that boat had just <laughs> given birth to my boat?" And I, and I and I and I thought. I think she might be seriously asking that question, you know? (laughs) And then she asked other things that like are very kind of naive, you know, like whether she's a little bit kooky, I really don't know. That's funny. Yeah. And then she, she was just kind of friendly and seemed nice. And so I went with her to where she lived and where she lived was What used to be, I think, a factory, not a big factory building, but a factory building like in an old-fashioned sense where the walls were made out of brick or masonry or stone or something, like two stories tall, but the roof no longer existed. So people were just living inside the walls of that, and they had made like little rooflets out of corrugated steel or something and little bits of wood or something to separate themselves. The whole thing was like... A den of, of the poorest people living inside that ruin of a building.
0: Wow! And you you spent the night there, or no. was it just a meal? You, you I didn't even have a meal. I don't think I just. Oh, okay. She I, just wanted you to see her place. Yeah,
1: I yeah. I just saw how she lived a little bit. She had wow. a kid or two, and uh, other people had some kids. And I remember one detail is that there was a drain that that was under the floor, but it had a hole in it. And so when they need to, they when they cook and they have some water, they have to pour off. From their cooking, they walk over to that hole and they pour it into that drain. You know.
0: Okay. Now, w- one thing I want people to realize: so this type of hospitality and this—I mean, for for every bad story, you know, you tell for every robbery, all this stuff—like there are hundreds and hundreds of great stories and people showing kindness and generosity, and and it's throughout the book, both books. Um, it's just—it's—it's it's absolutely wonderful. The 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 average person you meet—I mean, I've I known from my travels—it's—it's it's just.
1: the most special thing in all the world yeah when you're traveling is a good way to meet people is the best yeah (laughs) well
0: let's let's talk about can we talk about your next the your next book can we talk about uh book two can we talk (laughs) about the the five-year voyage yeah one of the things that annoyed the the heck so i I wrote two kids books and right after you read write your first book everyone's like so when's the sequel when's the next one and i don't know maybe you didn't get that as much because you did a complete journey (laughs) but (laughs) uh it's, it's always annoying to <laughs> when you've like worked for years, you know, for years on something. It's like, ah, oh, people, give me a give me a week.
1: <laughs> well, in both cases, uh, there was about a seven year lapse between the finish of the voyage and the publication of the book. But then between the two voyages, there was a 18 year gap. And um, so there's a long time period between the two. Now, obviously, circumstances changed
0: tremendously. You're, you got married on the voyage. Yeah. So you had a very steady partner, mm-hmm. which was not the case on the first voyage. You, mm-hmm. you had a child, which we're, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and uh, you had a, a bigger boat mm-hmm. for, for good reason because you had two people. Mm-hmm. Um, you learned a lot from your previous voyage. Uh, you had more technology. Obviously, mm-hmm. the, the world was different. How are you different? in this voyage mm-hmm. you, you kind of describe it briefly in, I think the forward where you say I forget how you put it exactly but can you tell us like mm-hmm. like you as a, a man as a person how are you different do you think
1: mm-hmm. well <clears throat> in my in my first voyage of I mean, the book here three years on a 12 foot boat I was I was not a young man there either I was 37 when that started mm-hmm. if you want to talk about what I was like in an earlier age there was more, there'd be more difference. You would see more difference between me at the age of 18 when I traveled for a year out of high school and, and three years on a 12 foot boat. There's less difference between three years boat, three years on a 12 foot boat and the five year voyage. Um, I, I knew boats better. I knew in many ways what to expect better, but it was a bigger boat than I was used to. Um, but I got the hang of it. I got, pretty quickly I was able to handle handle that boat quite well and Jenny was totally new to boats but she's she's smart and adaptable and we were we were just a good team we we handled that boat like you know a top we knew how to how to how to work that thing there's a little bit more technology I mean the first the first book there's no GPS the second book there is a GPS but we just had a handheld GPS the first book, there we had no computer. The second one, we carried a laptop. But we still used to use flashlights in both cases. The first one, believe it or not, they had not yet invented headlamps. Oh, wow. That was not a thing. But they had headlamps in 2009, so we always wore headlights at night. Mm-hmm. And I was just somewhat older and more mature, I guess. And I had, I had Jenny with me. So the main difference was that I wasn't... The first book is this... Um, uh, <clears throat> angst-filled loneliness thing that has a certain amount of darkness as well as light in fact you can tell that by the sort of an intentional choice of the two book covers here the three years on 12 foot boat is this kind of oozy queasy darkness you know and then the the five-year voyage is bright with macaws and <clears throat> the greenery and stuff and it's more colorful so it's more it's lighter in um lighter and more colorful in tone the whole thing is you know so it the first book is um, got the uh, the personal you know problem stuff problematic you know who am I uh, and what am I doing here stuff more and the second one that is just kind of not there I mean it's not there because it wasn't there you know it's like it's no it's no less honest it's not like it's not like the second book I'm like editing something out it's just that 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 uh, hard stuff just wasn't there wow the second book she genuism so it was very very different in the tone and feel the the actual day-to-day was very 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 similar Mm -hmm. but but the tone and feel of it is more uh that's cool or that's funny you know that wow that's really you know but it was not none of this poetry and none of this heavy stuff
0: well, and you you share a few funny little. Um, you guys have a few little inside jokes that you shared, and I think my favorite, I it had me laughing out loud was. Uh, and, and Jenny
1: is the pronunciation. It's actually Jenny because it's short Jenny. for Virginia.
0: Ah, Virginia. Okay, yeah. So Jenny, um, she she called them the pre pre-fuctos? What was it? Yeah, pre-fuctos. <laughs> the pre the, uh, the 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 um, what the heck are they? they, they the, the, the bureaucracy pr- guys. Yeah. Freaking. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's 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 short for. See, the, the actual name of this organization in, in Argentina is Prefectura Naval. That's like the naval prefecture. And then the local people call it prefectos. And then Ginny calls them prefectos. Because
0: <laughs> they were really – oh, my God. I, I was I, – I felt your pain there. I'm just like, mm-hmm. this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. like Come on, yeah. guys. Well, that was
1: a different kind of bureaucracy, a different kind of um, complaint on our part, and not nearly as bad. It, it really, it's something to make fun of, and it deserves to be made fun of mm-hmm. a lot. But they weren't crooked or corrupt. They were just, um, <clears throat> they were just trying to um, prove their justify their existence by mountains and mountains of paperwork.
0: Well, <laughs> oh, yeah. So did did Jeannie? Did she? test herself at all prior to the void i mean you said she didn't have a lot of boat experience but did she do anything to physically prepare herself or or get some experience prior to the being on the boat
1: not really she was um she was outdoorsy she had done some hiking and camping and she had um, traveled by herself to scotland once to um i guess that was sort of a high school um foreign exchange kind of experience
0: she had traveled. You, you guys had done some outdoor adventuring, but yeah. she, she didn't actually specifically train. No. For the voyage. No. But you guys, uh, it, so, it sounds like you had a good working relationship on the, the ship. I'm sure it wasn't always perfect, obviously, but it sounds actually, like it, she, actually it was perfect. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, Can you elaborate on that? Like what, what was it that, um, how do you
1: guys compliment each other so well? Hmm. Well, let's see. <clears> hmm. <throat> She, um, well, I just, um, I just take, take what I've got, which is her. I can see what she can. She's always easy to get along with. Very conciliatory, pleasant, you know, sense of humor. Um, and I don't push her too hard. You know, it's like, she's the kind of person that, um, if you don't, she'll, she'll accept uh, a certain level of mostly. Okay. It's kind of hard to describe Jenny. She she doesn't really like people very much and mm-hmm. most and anybody that's at all unpleasant, she simply won't be around them at all. And, um, but she will be around people. And when she, that she cares about, and when she is around them, she'll be very understanding. Um, and she'll accept a certain amount of like treating wrongness, you might say, but not very much, you know, I, I can, might be grumpy, you know, a little bit, and i get away with it, but this much, and I wouldn't get away with, it, you know, so, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm aware of that and um then um she's just really smart and brave she learns quick and like you do it this way you do it that way you care if you don't this and care if you don't that and she just goes through she trusted me she just we just she never backed down she never let off she never said i want to quit um she was always it which is really surprising she never once said like I'm, I'm not, you're into this, but I'm not, I'm not into it as much as you. No, she was uh, just as much as an into it as me uh, from beginning to end. Yeah. And in fact, it was more her, more her idea than mine that we really got started, but it was my ideas that, because I had the experience, it was my ideas that led us the way we went. Okay. You follow me. She, she said, let's go. But I said, okay, well, I guess I have some ideas about how and where we might do that. Okay. What'd you guys do for black water? Black water? <laughs> yeah, like
0: like uh, I mean like
1: uh... Uh, just um, just straight overboard or into a bucket and then overboard. Okay, yeah,
0: right, just curious. Just, I may add that out. We'll see.
1: And sometimes it's even the easiest, um, you know, to really gross out your your listeners. Sometimes it's easiest <laughs> to jump in the water and go while you're swimming. Well, there we then, go. Then get out of the water. Actually, you know what? People might find that really interesting. Maybe I will leave it in.
0: <laughs> All right. So there, you had a couple of close calls. There was one in particular. You went to what was the name? Bahia. It was a Diamante. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's Bahia. What was the name? Oh no, it, it was the uh, Lagoon. Laguna. Yeah. Laguna del Diamante. Diamante. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you said you went in, and you described it as like it felt sinister. It yeah, did. And, and and then and then just like like two weeks later, there was a, a father and, and a daughter, and, and the dad, the the um, middle middle, or I guess an older father and kind of a middle aged I, I looked up the story after I, I read that. Oh, I'm like, did. oh man, I, I want to know the details. What happened? You found
1: it online? Something about it?
0: Found it online. Um, found found out the daughter because I I want to know what what actually had happened to the daughter, but she had she turns out she was fine, as in the bad guys they, they shot her dad she saw her dad die and then i it's hard to know like she might have fired a flare or something at them scared him off whatever mm-hmm. but she wasn't touched she wasn't hurt yeah so i was curious what happened there
1: well um i i should i should preface this by saying that i do not at all claim to be a person who uh is like um clairvoyant or has any supernatural abilities whatsoever so i don't I'd all understand why that seemed sinister to us. It kind of got proven just a couple weeks later that they, we had good reason that it was sinister. But there was other things about it. It was like, there was this... There, why would this feel sinister? I don't know, but I can describe it to you. It was a weird place. Beautiful, but weird. The um, It's just a very strange place topographically. There is this big ridge, ridge that has this mountain range or kind of a just a sharp ridge but then there was a break in it for some reason then it continued and the continuation so the beginning of it is connected to the mainland but the can but the the continuation of it is a cape or a peninsula of land sticking out into the ocean and then so there's this break and and this is all jungly it's all uninhabited jungle and too steep to ever build a house but there's this gap and to go you go into this little gap which was Navigationally difficult because there's breakers there. And just it's just like 50 yards wide. You go in there and it's this huge lagoon. Well, it's medium big, not super huge. It's like uh, a couple miles one way and one mile the other way. And inside there, there's no people inside there either. There's, no, there's only one little hut that just, you know, some palm fronds is about it. And then, um, but it's so beautiful, you wonder why aren't there people here? Because there's a city not very far away why is there's nobody here when it's all so beautiful? It's some, it's kind of weird, you know. It's like yeah, uh, and then and then it was just a, and then plus you're like cooped there because there's only that one tiny little opening, and then you get inside and uh, it's kind of spacious, but there's no escape, you know. And I thought, there's something about this I just don't really feel comfortable with, but we did spend the night and then came out the next day and we just felt glad to get out of there. Wow! But we're lots of other places that that were very. In a way, they're like that, but they didn't feel like a trap like that.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So just no people when there should have been people, like not even yeah. local fishermen or anything. Yeah. And the entrance wasn't so dangerous that it would have hindered people going through in and well, out. Motorboats boats would,
1: local bo- motor would have no difficulty getting in and out, but yeah. a sailboat did because you had to tack straight in oh, with <laughs> a very narrow <laughs> thing, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: <clears throat> Interesting. Okay, well, I'm glad. Glad you guys were safe. Glad you made it, obviously. Oh, 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 oh. page 51. All right. There's a quote. It's my favorite quote, I think, out of the whole freaking series. I got to say it. All right. So page uh, 50 and 51. By the third morning, the swell had lessened, so they took me out again. We connected the long tow line. I urged them to go slow because Thurston's Stern tapers to a fine point, and I was afraid high speed might tow her under. They wisely ignored me. That's my favorite. Mm. <laughs> That's my favorite sentence. I think mm-hmm. they wisely ignored me. Mm-hmm. As before, they entered a bit faster than the breakers, staying in between and slowly gaining. In the unaccustomed speed, Thurston's stern squatted until her flat bottom began to plane. Whereafter, she docilely followed the launch into the calm waters of the estuary. What a relief!
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I had I had never <laughs> I had never towed that boat at high speed, so I didn't know what she would do. But it just turns out that that shape of a hull, when you tow it at high speed, it it gets up onto plane. They, which normally, as, as a boater, you might be aware of this. Normally, a training, a planing boat means that it's got a wide stern, a, a transom at the back. This didn't. It's a double ender. Mm-hmm. But it planed nonetheless due to the shape of its bottom. Well, it's. I, I'm going to use that line
0: at some mm-hmm. point. They mm-hmm. wisely ignored me. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, oh, yeah. And so you you mentioned in the book as well, your dad and uncle fought in World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the people you met on on it was, it was uh, I think a younger fellow actually. he was yeah. really
1: interested. yeah, that was that was an odd situation because we were, oh man, so we were coming around this corner of uh, Central America that's divided between Honduras and Nicaragua. And um, Honduras has its coastline facing north. Nicaragua has its coastline facing west. So we're very slowly coming around this big corner and um, the, we we were staying out at sea because there's a sprinkling of islands that allowed us to island hop, except that some of those islands actually didn't exist. They which meant that we had to sleep where there was no island. And then in one of these it was called Cayo Muerto, which means dead island. Hmm. And then and we were just getting there like a When the sun was going down, and that's always a a stressful thing because you need to get there if you're going to be able to sleep. That these boats in in neither voyage were the boats suitable for spending the night sleeping aboard. We did, you have to sometimes, but you'd never want to uh, just at sea bobbing around. Yeah, and so we um, were making it for that. I'm telling a little bit of a longer story about the guy who likes World War II, but. we're making it for that island and we're just going and going and wanting to get there before it We start seeing these sailboats. We're saying sailboats in the distance. What kind of sailboats would that be? You know, that doesn't really look like yachts. They're like a different shape of sail, but just sort of ignored it. We got to this Cayo Muerto. Well, it really was dead. It had been an island at one point, but there'd been enough hurricanes that it had erased it except that it was still existed underwater. So, and that's all we needed because if you get into the lee of something, if it's only six inches deep, that's just as good, you know? So we got into the lee of it and uh, it was composed of coral sand. So we just put an anchor down and then those boats that we had seen came to us. They saw, they had seen us now, see? So they came over, they were curious. They were mosquito Indians and um, they are fishermen. They have very primitive boats, but um, but in a way they're pretty aesthetically pleasing, and um, they uh, they they're very they they give you the impression of being primitive people because they wear only like a pair of shorts. They don't even wear they don't wear a hat. They don't wear a shirt. They don't wear shoes. They they and they're they're inside a boat that has no accommodation. It's just it's just a boat that that's got the planks showing on the inside. and The planks are showing on the outside, and they've got. Maybe a thwart in the middle, and and there's 14 guys inside this boat, and they're all oh, wow. just kind of sitting on the planks, you know, and uh, they are they have kind of a reputation. The mosquito Indians, like if you read like the cruising guides, so don't go there. The mosquito Indians, they'll rob you blind, you know. Hmm. And um, we so we were leery. We didn't we didn't know. We hadn't hadn't like uh, conversed with them before, and um, so we're talking with these. They land. They landed, and they're right, right there on us. Yeah, can we give us some money? No, I don't really have any money. Can you give us some drinking water? No, I don't really have any extra drinking water. And feeling kind of nervous about this, you know, it's, it's not a pleasant conversation when they're begging, you know. Yeah. And then, but then one of them comes over and says, "I'm just really interested in World War II history. Like, <laughs> why would a mosquito interested meet a mosquito Indian?" be interested in by the way, mosquito Indians aren't necessarily really Indians, for what for that's worth. That that would they're they're a mixture of different kinds of races. But anyway, that's what they're called. And um uh, so why would a mosquito Indian young man, maybe nineteen years old, be interested in World War ii But he was. And so I had to say, well well to tell the truth, my dad was in World War Two, and so was my uncle. In fact my uncle's a hero. And I told him a little about my my parents, my my dad's and my uncle's experience in World War Two. And he was very very excited about that
0: well do you mind relating some of that i mean can you talk to me the way you spoke to him because i'm i'm excited by it too yeah <laughs> i'd like to know
1: yeah well well right right there i've got uh there's a picture of my dad um go ahead and take a look he right right he's right in the very middle where the where the arrow is pointing and uh oh, so um that's the bunch of guys he landed on omaha beach with so he was in uh d-day and battle of the bulge and uh, my uncle was um, in uh, various landings as a marine in the Pacific.
0: So, folks, just obviously you can't see what I'm looking at, but I'm looking at a picture of his uh, unit, black and white, obviously. Um, and he was uh, on Omaha Beach on D-Day as an army army engineer,
1: right? Yeah. So, they, so they would have been clearing the obstacles and yeah, and checking for mines and geez. Uh, uh Assigned to uh, create a battalion headquarters, I believe. And he said, "Your uncle is a. He was a he was a Marine uh, lute, infantry lieutenant, and um, so he is part of the island hopping campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> Tarawa, Guadalcanal, wow, and then the uh, various other islands. I forget which ones. There's he, he's he's written a book. Well, he's written a book, but there's a book written about him. And just what's kind of confusing is that he wrote a book. It's mm-hmm. called Faithful Warriors." And then somebody else took it over, and they called it by the same name. But if you ever find that book, it'll probably be the one written by the the Naval Institute. So it's much better written than his book was. Okay. Yeah. But but still factual, or yeah. they're yeah, not editing stuff out. It's just um, it's just that um, he was he's not a writer. He's still alive. He's still alive. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. He's just not a writer. So the they 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 rewrote it for him. You yeah. Know, much better.
0: Yeah it's it's incredible to think I mean, my my little boys will I don't know ho- hopefully they get to meet some World War II vets but
1: they, they're not going to be around much longer it's crazy uh, my uncle's uh, 101 oh, wow yeah he's um, still alive but uh, just barely I think wow Oh,
0: sorry, Stephen. I don't mean to be bringing it up. These <laughs> well, tough topics, I, I, but... <laughs> yeah, it's hard for me
1: to to, to tell those stories sometimes. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, I kind of want to, like how he, on tarot, he got shot by a machine gun bullet right through his body, right, right through his belly button, came out his back. And he survived. Jeez. Now, how often do people get shot like that and survive?
0: Yeah. Do you think... Well, obviously, their stories must have had influence on you in your life. Well, my dad, he never had
1: the the brutality of experience that my uncle had. Yeah, he, he had a tough time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't easy. It wasn't safe. But but he wasn't like uh, nearly as yeah. you know in harm's way as my uncle was.
0: Yeah. What well, got you? I mean, you, you put yourself not in harm's way in a, a military sense, but you know, taking the beaten, <laughs> definitely off the beaten track yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. definitely unconventional like you're on unconventional tracks in an unconventional boat and it, it's yeah i mean i don't know did their stories influence
1: you in that sense oh not consciously but maybe subconsciously they didn't like sit around telling their stories that much either Yeah. L- later in life and i think this is pretty common for vets they it's they don't talk about it until towards the ends of their lives. And they start thinking, hey, I I want to tell my story. I've never told my story. I want to tell my story now before I pass away.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's uh, get away from death and talk about birth. <laughs> you mm-hmm. had a freaking baby mm-hmm. on a, in Brazil, mm-hmm. on the river system. Uh, and, and then, Oh my gosh. It, it, you, you kept the baby like, like you kept the journey going. I just, mm-hmm. I don't know. As I was reading that, I, I just remember my little one-year-old and I mean, I could see why you did it. Like, like I got, but uh, Jeannie had the
1: baby. They had a baby in Brazil. You know? we, we, we should, we should start with the fact that um, we had been traveling on the rivers for a while and um, like for several months at this point. And we realized that traveling on the rivers is very safe maybe there's aspects that aren't safe, but it sure seems safe. And even though you're in the middle of wild jungles going through these wild jungle rivers, there's really not that much unsafe. It doesn't seem like it seems like it's totally safe. Mm-hmm. And um so we decided to have a baby. And um then nine months later we were still in the river system, but in a much different part of South America. And uh that's where we had the baby. Okay.
0: And then so, and he was about a year old, I think, by the time it, it, she, she and he left. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Um, he was born and in, in a town in Brazil. And, um, so for one month we did not live on the boat for a couple of weeks before and a couple of weeks after the birth, we had an apartment and then, um, then we continued and, um, he was just a baby in arms, but, um, we were just motoring upstream mm-hmm. and then downstream on a river. And um, there's so the, a
0: cute little picture of, you have the little head like earmuffs on his, yeah. his head to protect his hearing. It's, yeah. it's really adorable. And, motoring.
1: and um, so he, he was, there was like um, several months of travel with him. And then we came until he was, I believe four months old, he was traveling with us. And then in Brazil as a tourist, You're allowed to be there for six months then you have to be gone for six months then you can come back for another six months so when he was four months old we had reached a town that was kind of a logical turning point for us Mm -hmm. uh, uh a milestone and we all flew back home together and left the boat there so but then he resumed the voyage with us when he was 10 months old okay uh through a little over about about 14 months old it was fascinating so in the in the book i mean
0: that six month journey back home and that your time spent at home is just, you cover it in two sentences. I think it's like, it's literally like a sentence or two Mm -hmm. and then you're back on the boat again. Mm -hmm. uh, With, with George, with, and with, with uh, Jeannie. But I mean, a lot happened in that six months. Yeah.
1: Well, um, what happened during the six months was um, just not part of that story. Mm -hmm. It was um, actually a lot of things happened in that six months. That was, but uh, a different story. Okay. And so the
0: um, – so now, did you have a conti- – so I remember you described there are major hazards, the water hazards on the rivers, like the flash flooding you described, and there was like t- actual true tidal waves that could be up to mm-hmm. five meters tall. Mm-hmm so my question is did you have a contingency plan for if the boat capsized for for george like did you have planned out you know how you're going to rescue him or what what i mean obviously you must have thought about that
1: well um the tidal wave um danger was not that time of year is the final word that we more or less got on that mm-hmm. and um those are called bores. um b-o-r-e a bore is a is a tidal wave in a river mouth and um the flash flood was was a different time there wasn't any flash floods where we were so i don't think there was any um danger to concern ourselves with but the most thing that i could think of would be a collision you know hitting another boat that could be really bad yeah so
0: did um just part uh, part of this of podcast is knowledge. Uh, so the the
1: what, what did you call
0: them again? The tidal waves? Bore. B o r e. A bore. Okay. So the bores. Yeah, there was it January and February. Was there a month?
1: Uh yeah. I think they were uh, that time of year. And I was. Let's see what time of year was I was there. Uh, I think I was there in the in the North American spring, and it was um, more a phenomenon of um, the um, rainy time of year. Which was you know when the rivers would be high, but at that point the rivers were more low. Yeah. <clears throat> the boars are we had heard about them, so we're worried about them, and then we we go on the internet and we look at um, YouTube videos and it's it's an eye opener to see that because there are people of course that have gone over with a with an airplane or a helicopter or something and taken pictures of them. You can see what they look like. Mm-hmm. They are ele- they're a tidal wave, and they happen. Uh, On a regular basis, you know, they just come in and crash and everything's smashed and everything, you know, the shorelines are all just trees flying up in the air because they've been uprooted by, by waves and stuff, but, um, not when and where we were. Wow. And then, okay. So then you, you sail up the
0: Caribbean. So you you eventually go solo. So you're solo sailing Mm -hmm. and uh, learning, you know, relearning how to sail the boat that way, I guess. But, um, but ultimately, the boat you you capsized coming in it was the dominican republic
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah the uh the the big error occurred there the um the error was that i was coming in through a uh, supposed pass into a lagoon and this pass and the the coral reef are directly facing the the oncoming <clears throat> trade winds and it was a day of uh high swell and um so, you know, a 10 foot swell translated onto, um, onto a surf can be like a 20 foot tall wave. And, um, so, uh, the boat pitch pulled and, um, <clears throat> mast broke sails were torn up, uh, lost the rowing capability and, um, uh, the more and the motor was out of order, but, um, I wasn't in physical danger because of just where I was and, uh. Uh, I was not like in the wilderness at that point I, where there were people around and stuff.
0: Yeah. Okay. Now the damage to the boat, I mean, so you lost the mass, like at that point, was it just simply, is this is just too expensive to repair and the voyage is almost over anyway, or was it, because you, you? it sounds like you, you didn't feel like you were in true danger. I mean, obviously you could always drown or get knocked on the head or whatever, but, but it, it seems like you weren't, in shock or anything that's like oh this needs to end now. well it could
1: have it could have been worse i could have been knocked out and drowned or something right but right as it was i was um you know it was no no drama really and um the so, boat the boat didn't break apart and and um it it was in it still had its structural integrity but um the Dominican republic is a bad country for getting anything as many of them are um it's a bad country for getting anything shipped to. It's a bad country for dealing with bureaucracy. It could take you months and just like pulling your hair out and how much bribes am I willing to pay and, and why that paperwork and why I go to the office. And I was already five months separated from my family. Yeah. So, you know, you've got a baby, you don't want your baby to grow, grow up without you. you know? so yeah. So it was, it was totally right to say, well, I guess it is over. Yeah. All right. Well, good. Yeah. Stephen, thank you. Very,
0: very much for for sharing so much. And folks, just so you know, like we're only talking—not even one twentieth of, of the books here. Like, like we're not covering anything. Uh, I mean, these are just some little highlights, but there are many, many, many other highlights and stories. And I guarantee you, everybody reading these books is going to come. You know, you're going to have different stuff that, that you're like, "Why didn't Johan talk about that?" Like, so I guarantee you, they're they're worth getting. These they're definitely worth purchasing recommend getting them and reading them, and and Stephen, you got any last things you want to say or questions or any anything at all?
1: No, but uh, thanks for uh, um, not hating my poetry. <laughs> You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Where um, where can people get your your
0: books? Where can they? We all you already mentioned the website, but where can people purchase mm-hmm. your books?
1: Anywhere you want to buy books is okay. It's it's on Amazon, but it it should be available through any bookstore.
0: All right, mm-hmm. so we got the. Um, and I will read it correctly this time. Three Years in a 12-Foot Boat and The Five-Year Voyage, both by Stephen Ladd. And uh, they're both very, very different books. So if, if the one doesn't suit you, probably the other one will. And if you're like me and love this kind of stuff, then both will suit you. Um, definitely. A high, oh, one last thing about The Five-Year Voyage. You, you do an excellent, excellent summary at the very end of uh, just lessons learned that i think any cruiser would be you would be very silly not to pay attention to those lessons learned so there's a lot of good lessons to be learned in both both books uh, as far as cruising and sailing single boat handling a lot a lot of lessons to be learned there so a lot of good knowledge we only covered a, a bit of it as i said all right with that uh, thank you steven mm-hmm. thank you very much for doing this you're my first celebrity so. Celebrity, huh okay. <laughs> I love it.
1: <laughs> um, super exciting. Me, but uh, you interview people, don't you? So, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. How could? You, who are these people you're interviewing? If they're not celebrities, well, uh, I got old
0: shipmates that I interview, mm-hmm. yep. and uh, I've got, uh, I got. Uh, I mean, I've, I've interviewed a Columbia River bar pilot. Um, interviewed uh, oh, who else? I mean, a lot. A lot of the interviews are old shipmates. Some are solo episodes I do where I just talk about interesting history stuff that I like. Uh, but then I've done, uh, there's a tugboat operator. Uh, she, we had a great interview. She and I, that was fun. And then, um, uh, the, sea uh, scouts interviewed, uh, Tom Rogers with sea Scouts. So, but, uh, but nobody has written a book. So I guess that makes you celebrity. It's nobody has good. done dozens and dozens of interviews. Um, uh, so folks, thank you so much for listening. Uh, spread the word about the podcast, support it. If you can buy my little kid's book after you've done, after you bought Steven's books <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I just want to wish everybody out there fair winds and following sea.